The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. The following is a pre-recorded best of the American Veteran Show. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thank you so much as we get ever closer to our season finale. In fact, I believe that'll be next weekend. And then we enter season seven of the program in early February. We could not do programs like this without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their number, 303-999-9999, now taking a special interest in those of you who may have spent time at Camp Lejeune. Again, that deadline is approaching to file your claims over the past decades of possible toxic exposure. Again, bosonlaw.com, 303-999-9999. For the majority of this program, we're going to take a look back. We lost an American hero, a Colorado legend, Leo Bonacci. He passed away just a couple of months shy of his 100th birthday. And right around the start of the pandemic, we were able to visit with Mr. Bonacci. And here on the program, we dedicated the entire hour to him. And our condolences go out to his daughter, Mary Beth, who introduced me to her hero father. And, of course, condolences to his family and friends left behind. So we will pay tribute and replay and revisit that straight ahead. But we would be remiss if we didn't talk about a big development involving the United States military as well as tanks headed to Ukraine. This giant crater shows the force of these Russian missiles. Overnight, we heard and felt loud explosions in the city of Dnipro. Russia firing around 80 missiles and drones. At least four people killed. Energy infrastructure sites hit in southern and western Ukraine. The Russian strikes coming just hours after President Biden announced the U.S. will supply Ukraine with more than 30 Abrams tanks. That move gave Germany cover to pledge Leopard 2 tanks and allow other allies to send 100 of those. Asked if Germany had forced him to supply the Abrams tanks to Ukraine in a deal, President Biden saying we wanted to make sure we were all together. The Abrams won't reach Ukraine soon, but some German leopards could enter this battle zone in a matter of weeks. Guys, we've just seen why Ukraine needs those tanks. We were taken to a military field hospital here in the east. Injured soldiers are being rushed there from the front lines on an almost constant basis. That one hospital receiving dozens of casualties in a single day. This was a kindergarten hit a few days ago. You can see the playground behind me. The distant booms we're hearing constantly telling us the fighting is escalating. 
That from ABC News just a couple of days ago. And finally, from the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, late last week, announcing that on January 25th, 2022, on orders from the President of the United States, the U.S. military conducted an assault operation in northern Somalia. The result, the death of a number of ISIS members, including Bilal al-Sudani, an ISIS leader in Somalia and said to be a key facilitator for ISIS and its global network. And now the rest of the show dedicated to an American patriot we lost last week. He was 99 years old, just two months shy of his 100th birthday. We salute Leo Bonacci. I grew up in, in a coal mining camp in southern Colorado, and the name of the camp was Alamo, and my dad was a coal miner. I, I graduated in 40 from high school, and then I the next year I went to CU. And um, while I was at CU, of course, the war started. Do you remember the day Pearl Harbor was bombed? Yeah. What kind of stories can you share from those memories? I know it's a long time ago. Well, it is a long time ago. All I can hear, all I can remember right now is clear across the campus, I could hear, shoot the bastards. They were talking about the Japanese. And, uh, or not, not shoot the bastards, kill the bastards, yeah. And uh, so I can remember that. I mean, that had to be... Strange. I, I just, from my perspective, to be on a college campus when when that happens, and it's the winter time, and and you can remember that seventy five plus years later. Yeah, I, I can remember it very very well. Yes. And then, what leads you, sir, to get into the military? Well, they they told me that if I signed up for special uh, special some sort of a special reserve, that. Um, they would let me in until I graduated from school. Mm-hmm. And so I signed up. This was in December. And lo and behold, I find myself in the infantry down in Texas. That, that's not exactly stay in school and you'll be fine. Yeah, that, not exactly. Yeah. And so there I was down in Texas in the infantry. Shooting uh, while practicing uh, uh, rifles, shots, and all that. Uh, target shooting at the on the rifle range. And then what happens after that? Uh, that basic training in Texas. Okay, then I, I took some tests and, and did. They were planning on a long war, and I took some tests and, and did well in in the tests, and and so they sent me to a school called. Um, well, they, they sent me to Washington and Lee University, and um, so we we got some, and so I, I got regular college training at Washington and Lee University. Well, let me ask you this, and again, we're talking with 96, soon to be just two days from now, 97-year-old Leo Bonacci, and you grew up in southern Colorado, you're now back east. I mean, first of all, had you been growing up in a mining camp, had you even... You know, been on a, and then I know you got to Texas as well, but on a train or on a plane or anything like that? Um, let's see, growing up in a mining camp, yeah, I don't remember. So you are seeing parts of the country you'd never seen before, but what do you remember, especially when you were back east at, at Washington and Lee? What was the best you can remember, the kind of the, the mood of the country? 
the mood of the country was the furthest thing from my mind. Okay, I have a fair point. Time. Fair point. <laughs> and uh, all I can remember is is uh, just being hauled through a lot of woods and hills and all of that sort of thing. And how was the training? Was it was it tough and physical and demanding? Yes, it was. Uh huh. Yeah. And um, they they ran us uh, like on a five mile run, and uh, so this this wasn't very good for me because we ran on the five mile run, and after we got through, the captain asked us, "Anybody else would would like to run another five mile?" And I, like a fool, raised my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else was like, what are you thinking? Oh, man, did I get it when I got back to the barracks. And uh, were you carrying things as well? You had to be loaded down with a pack. Yeah, uh-huh, we were. But I was in pretty good shape. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so did you end up running the extra I, five miles? No, no. <laughs> I. Uh, and boy, did I get it when I got back there. Oh, yeah, I, that taught me. Never volunteer for anything again. There you go. <laughs> again, Leo Bonacci, our guest, uh, he turns 97 in just two days as this airs, and uh, it's just an honor to have him. So you've been described to me as a very intelligent man, though I've also done enough interviews with, with the greatest generation that you're from, and you're pretty humble, but uh, it was your smarts that got you back east, right? Yeah, I, I took... Um I took some tests and and uh, yeah and and did pretty well in them and you know and got into what they call Army Specialized Training AST and so that that held me up along and I I went to school at Washington and Lee University and um, made the honor roll there and and. Um, so it did pretty well. Yeah, I hear that you were, you probably wouldn't call yourself this, but I'll call you a brainiac. So uh, we're going to take our first break here on the American Veteran Show as we have a chance to visit with World War II veteran Leo Bonacci. Turns 97 in just a couple of days. So we'll be back as we continue our interview with him, this American hero. Coming up next, this is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show as we are blessed to have a great guest, Leo Bonacci. You, uh, again, grew up in a mining town or mining camp in southern Colorado. You talked about uh, going to see you. You were on campus when Pearl Harbor was attacked, and then you go to Texas, and then you go back east, and and you are, you, you're just one of those that you're testing, and you're smart, and so pick up the story of your life, if you will, after you graduate from the program in the Army, uh, what do you do after that? In and what what are we talking about? Nineteen forty two, forty three. Seems like yeah. that'd be about right. Forty three, forty four, something like that. Anyway, um, well, I, I went to Washington and Lee University, and uh, and some poor guys they flunked out, and they got put into kitchen duty and 
taping and all that sort of thing. And they, and then I get on honor roll, and where do they put me? Yeah, in the infantry. Right. When is your time at Fort Logan? Oh, Fort Logan. That was that was when I first went in. That was early on. I want to. Yeah, that was the, the beginning. Yeah. I want to take. I want to take you back to that because you and I were saying before we we uh, we were on air that you know today a lot of people don't know that Fort Logan was an active you know area and they just think of it as and i don't say just but that it's it's fort logan national cemetery you were busy there and you were on kp i was on kp and i and i flowered what i how many smell hundred thousand smelt or something like that i don't know it was some fantastic number and i had to run them through flower you know and smelt is a fish and uh, so there was a lot of smelling of the smelt as yes, well. Yes. Uh huh. I don't think it probably smelled very good. No, it didn't. <laughs> so you kind of went through all levels. So you're this incredibly intelligent man, and your prayers kept your dad around after his injury in the mine. And then, when do you finally get word that you're you're going either to the Pacific or you're going to Europe? Okay. We, uh, uh, they, they sent me down to Florida, and uh, we, we did a lot of offshore training. We, we went and, and we did jungle training, and so we would go out off the, off the shore and go around in boats and then come in and invade and practice invasions and all of that sort of thing, and so. After we got, after doing a lot of that sort of thing, lo and behold, in typical Army fashion, after we trained for the Pacific, where do they send me? Europe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, How did you get there? Obviously on transport and what, probably took 30 days or so, right? Um, we, um, we went and I... I can't remember the name of the ship, um, but we went by ourselves. We were not accompanied, and we took a zigzag course all the way over to Europe. Tell and, our tell our younger listeners why you did the zigzag pattern across the Atlantic. Well, so that the Germans wouldn't wouldn't get us. Yeah, they uh, because the Germans were hot on our trail. And um, so we had to do the zigzagging, and we wound up in um, in Scotland, and uh, and then came down into um, into London, into England, and and then we're there for a while. You know what I'm thinking when you're telling me this story, and again, Leo Bonacci in the United States Army in World War II. Here's this kid who grew up in southern Colorado where the nearest big city was Walsenburg. And now you're (laughs) zigzagging. Yeah, uh, if that. And you're zigzagging now across the Atlantic and you end up in Scotland. I mean, this is truly another world. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, 
And so I wound up in Scotland, and then we came down and into England. And um, then, as we were there, the Battle of the Balls broke out, and so immediately they they send us across the Channel into France, and then across France, and the weather was freezing. I think it's one of the coldest weathers on record, one one of the coldest winters on record. Let me ask you, though, let's go back, and you're talking, obviously, the the winter of 44 into 45, but where were you on D-Day? So June 6th of 44, were you in country or in Scotland or England yet? No. Okay. On D-Day... I was I was in Florida, I think. So you were still training. Think about those that had went before you, though. They had oh, been, oh, that must have been horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. Um, I, I hear that the that the water was red with the blood of the people who were wounded and killed. Yeah. When you get to France, you know, you, you land in a place that had been, boy, the D-Day beaches and Utah and Omaha and Gold Sword, Juno, those, it was just months, months prior. So when you get to France, uh, what, what do you do then? We, um, well, uh, and when we were in England, we were sleeping, at least we were sleeping in beds. When we get to France... Okay, man, we're out in the open country. Here we are, bugged down, and this is where we're staying for tonight, out in open country. And then and then along about 3 o'clock in the morning comes a bunch of trucks, and we all hop on the trucks, and, and so then they take us across France. And, uh, and we're all in the back of the trucks, and... And one guy moves, and he kicks another guy in the face, and and he USOB. What are you doing that to me for? And pretty soon, the whole the whole shebang breaks loose. You know, right. we're all we're all cussing at each other, and and cuss words were pretty common in those days. You know, you've done very well on this program, sir. Especially the F word. It was very, very common. Uh, I'm sure. Again, Leo Bonacci turns 97 just a couple of days uh, from now on March 24th, and your memory is just amazing, and, and you're seeing this Colorado kid seeing the countryside of France. Do you remember what you saw? I mean, was did you did you see the reminders of of war? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I wow. don't. I, I don't recall seeing anything. All I re- can remember was there was a Frenchman that sold us some straw to sleep on, and lo and behold. After we after we're leaving, I see this Frenchman come back and pick up the straw and, and get and save it for the next. And he sold match. it again. He sold it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're wrapping up our second segment with Leo Bonacci and uh, just amazing stories coming up in our next segment. We're going to talk about how he was lucky, along with the good Lord above and the weather that changed, how he avoided the true battle of the bulge 
But his career in the Army in World War II was not over yet. So we'll have more with Mr. Bonacci coming up. Once again, if you miss an episode, find us, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Just click on Past Shows, and this is definitely one you want to share with your family and friends. We'll be back with Mr. Bonacci coming up. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to this special edition of the American Veteran Show as we continue our conversation with Leo Bonacci, United States Army, World War II veteran. And you were able to, I think this is just amazing, especially, and this is no offense to kids who grew up in a mining camp like you did in Southern Colorado, but you said you knew Italian going in, but not she. Okay, I get yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you had joked to me earlier, that's just, uh, you dropped the O. It's an Irish name, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. But you were able you were able to pick up languages, so you know Italian going in. Then you go to France, and, and uh, obviously you end up staying in Europe, and we'll get to that. But how many languages were you able to communicate in? I was able to communicate in German and in French and in Italian. In three three languages. Did that ever come in handy? Oh, very much so. Uh, did you yeah. learn the, Did you learn the curse words? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Believe it or not, <laughs> I didn't. But uh, when did it come in handy? Well, ap- after the war was over, we we did uh, well. We, we did occupation work, right? And so then we had to associate with Germans and and with uh, yeah. So let's talk about the, you'd mentioned that winter, and I have been blessed to know a couple of of, of dear friends who have passed uh, who were at the Battle of the Bulge, and, and they say that everything that you hear about how cold it was was absolutely true. It was like the coldest in 40, 50, 60 years, and you were close to going in there to the Battle of the Bulge. We were... Uh, we were very, very close. I was sleeping on the ground the night before in my pup tent, and you could see on the horizon, you could see the the um, the guns going off. And I was thinking my, to myself, tomorrow I'm going to be in the midst of this thing. And the skies were cloudy, no air support, no nothing. And lo and behold, I wake up the next morning, the skies are clear, the air is full of American airplanes, and 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 then um, Patton broke out broke out from the south and came up, and so that was the end of the Battle of the Bulge, and I, all I got to say is that God was with me. It. It uh, it was fantastic. I mean, think of what would have happened if if things would have transpired to the point where just a couple of weeks or so earlier that you had arrived, where you would have been in the middle of that. Yes. Uh huh. Was your faith strong in, in no in World War Two? No. I had. You know, they say there are no uh, no atheists in foxholes. Well, I was, I I didn't have any faith. Yeah. Did that change? Oh, yes. Oh, very definitely. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) It weren't for God. I mean, uh, I I don't know what what I would have. I mean, God was with me the whole time. You know what I find just fascinating is 
we're we're right now at almost the exact point 75 years almost to the day that you crossed the Rhine right yeah. I mean you were you just had turned or you would turn 22 yeah I I was I remember crossing the Rhine and uh, yeah and, and it was on my birthday and uh, so it's a heck of a place to celebrate your birthday I don't think they probably gave you a cake no no they didn't <laughs> and uh, I don't know what what Hitler told him about what we would do once we got into Germany. Um, he might have, he probably told them that we were going to go in and we're going to kill all the men and rape all the women and do all of that sort of thing. Uh, we went in and uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of the name of the town and I can't, it escapes me right now. But anyway, we went in, another GI and I, they, they said, they said to us, okay, from, we've been sleeping on the ground, waking up with six inches of snow on our noses. From now on, we're in enemy territory, and we're going to sleep in houses. And so they picked me and another guy to go into this one house, and I guess they picked others for other houses. And, they, and so we went up at 2 o'clock in the morning. We knock on this door. And some old lady comes and answers the door, and she sees these two uh, guys, these two American GIs standing there with rifles over their shoulders, and and uh, she she goes crazy. She runs through the house screaming and yelling, and finally uh, her son comes, and we say, okay, calm down. We're we're not going to do anything. We're not going to hurt you. We just want you out of here in an hour. And we're moving in, and so, so they they got out in a, in a, in an hour. And you had a bed, and we had a bed. Yeah, we slept in a bed. Believe it or not, is that where one of those instances where your German came in handy? My German, I didn't ha- I didn't know German at the time. Oh, so you pick it up later? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had yeah no knowledge of German at the so time. So it was the universal. But, hey, you get out, and they understood. Yeah, but well, I did have a guy with me. He he was able to speak German. Did so you was, did you feel that uh, at that point? Was there a sense that, okay, you're in enemy territory, and maybe for some of these people, they didn't agree with what Hitler was doing uh, in that portion of the world, and they didn't agree with with what they were maybe being, all the propaganda. But did you get a sense you were part of a liberation movement at that point? No, I didn't. I really didn't. All All I did was, okay, I'm alive today. Am I going to be alive tomorrow at the same time? And and that's all I was thinking about at the time. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know. see how that, yeah, I think that's a great, great point. I don't see how you could wonder more than, am I going to be able to see either the sunrise or the sunset? Because yeah. you're in war. Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah. And then, and then, um, well, this this I don't know where this fits in, but anyway, I'll just tell it. Sure. Uh, I was the the big thing. You you were not a combat man unless you had a Luger, a German Luger pistol, and so 
So I was looking around for a German Luger pistol, and I went I went down into this sort of a cavern or something. Anyway, there was a and there was a door there, and and everything was quiet down in there. And I I said I'd better get out of here. There might be Germans behind that door, and so. I said, but on the other hand, there might be a German Luger there. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you're weighing your options there. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to open the door. It was loaded with people. And the first thing I do is I bring down my rifle. But the people were women, all women. And this woman comes up to me, and she's crying. My mom dot, my mom dot. Her husband was dead. Her husband was killed. And so she comes up to me crying. And so I kind of tap him on the head and say, okay, try to calm him down a little. And, and I left. I left him there. I To this day, I guess when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out what happened to these to these women. But uh, Your stories are amazing. Does it seem like it's been 75 years? No, just like it's yesterday. It just, yeah, because you you go through it in your mind so often. And but you say you don't have any what they would call back then. You don't have any battle fatigue or what they call PTSD today. No, uh, you're fortunate. I, yeah, I was very fortunate. Yeah, and as I say, God was with me. Yeah, even though at the time maybe you didn't realize no, it. No, I did not. <laughs> I definitely had. I had very little faith at that time. But I know it came back to you. Our incredible conversation. Uh, we could do three shows with him. From the United States Army in World War II, Colorado native. And you hear right now he's in Germany. We'll see what happens next in our final segment coming up with Mr. Leo Bonacci. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Once again, Leo Bonacci, a Colorado native and legend, a World War II hero. He passed away last week, just two months shy of his 100th birthday. We salute him and take a look back at our visit from early 2020 as we continue on the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. So along about 2 o'clock in the morning, we get a call from headquarters. The Germans are moving tanks up toward the river. And uh, we had built a bridge up there. It's, it's called a Bailey Bridge. And we built a bridge, and they said, go on up and blow up the bridge. So, so, uh, so and, uh, and of all the people they have to call, they have to call on us, our our uh, second uh, second battalion uh, your champagne club yeah the champagne club <laughs> and so so when and the driver is drunk and <laughs> and, he, and he's driving in blackout he can't see where he's going anywhere and so we're we're driving up to the bridge and i'm expecting all hell to break loose any minute and uh all of a sudden, biff, boom, bang. I go tumbling over the truck, and all of a sudden, everything is quiet. And I feel around, am I injured? Am I wounded? What's happened? What's happened? Outside, take a look. 
the driver ran into the side of a house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I, I have a feeling I could talk to you about this a lot longer, but in the, in the essence of time. Yeah. So we get close, and then are you at this point thinking, I wonder if I'm going to Japan? Was that ever in your mind at that point? Oh, yes. Yes, that's another point. The atom bomb saved my life. Um, we were, we, they sent us, after the war was over in Europe, they sent us to La Havre, France, uh, uh, kickoff point, and uh, and so so while we were in La Havre and get, getting ready to go to Japan for the invasion of Japan, uh, I didn't know that at the time, of course, because they didn't tell us. But and I learned it later. Uh, we were going to go in the invasion of Japan. Well, they dropped the atom bomb. And then that was the end of the war. And so we never went to Japan. You're the first person that I've ever heard, and the hundreds of veterans I've interviewed put it so succinctly that you're pretty convinced that had you gone and uh, the carnage on a Japanese mainland invasion would have been astronomical. It would have been. It would have been horrible. Yes. And and uh, so I, I credit the atom bomb for saving my life. Now, it's not very pleasant, uh, but that's that's the facts. What do you remember going back a, f- uh, a few months before that about VE Day? VE Day? When, when they announced, you know, you find out at some point that Hitler is dead and the war in Europe has been, yeah. you know, supposedly over. I'm sure it took a long time to, in certain areas to trickle through that, hey, the fighting can stop now. Yeah. And um, oh, uh, I uh, uh, I remember that very well, and uh, it, it just uh, I don't know, just something we took for granted that that it, we had gotten to the point, you know, where we were winning the war, and we had just for granted that we we would eventually the war in Europe was going to end in not too long. You know, the only thing is, though, I, I, I would imagine it was hard to probably celebrate when you're getting word that, well, you go to La Havre and you could be going to another phase of the war. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like your chapter was, was over. No, absolutely. Now, of course... They don't. They don't tell you these things. Right. But they sent us to La Havre. Well, why, why else would you go to La Havre in France? Because because they're going to send you to Japan. Yeah. Let yeah. me ask you as we wrap up, and I want to bring your daughter Mary Beth into this as well. But she sent me some pictures, and this one is just. I mean, that's that's a handsome movie star right there. That, oh. That's you. Yeah, that is I. And. <laughs> Boy, what would you tell that kid today if you could, knowing what you know now? Oh, tell this kid? Yeah, that kid right there. Oh, man. He was he was a very, very immature guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, You helped save the world. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and you say, well, you know, I, I helped save the world, but I didn't do it voluntarily <laughs> I, I was kicked in the pants to do it <laughs> it's boy you ended up a long way from southern colorado yep 
Sure did. Sure did. Let me bring in your daughter, Mary Beth. What does it mean to you to sit here and and hear these stories? Oh, my gosh. It it means everything. I'm I'm so thankful to you, Stefan, for doing this, that that not only do we get to share this, but it's memorialized now for our family. You know, you grow up with this, and it's just your dad's stories, you know, and you don't really think much of it. And then you you start to study history, and you start to realize, you say, oh, my gosh, my dad was there. And now, especially that he's one of the last, we're just, I mean, we're obviously, we're so thankful that he's still with us to tell the stories. And yeah, this is just beautiful. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And you said, you said to, uh, about your daughter and and I know your family, uh, you're an incredible man. So you got to have an incredible family too. Oh, this gal here. I, I don't know what I'd do without her. She is, she is fantastic. Fantastic. Well, she's got a fantastic dad. I love her so much. (laughs) And Paul, Paul, I love you so much. And and David, and of course, out in California. And Julie, with her three grandchildren that she's given us. Yeah. What What do you do when you come home? What was it like coming back to Colorado for the first time? The thing that I remember is that I wouldn't walk on any open fields or anything because of mines. Mm-hmm. So I only walked, and it just got into your head. You only walked on used paths where somebody had walked before. Boy, that makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense why you do that. Mary Beth, uh, if you'll indulge me, can we, just you and me, uh-huh. let's just sing happy birthday to your okay. dad. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear dad. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, sweetheart. And you too. Thank, Thank you. you. You can call me sweetheart. That's okay. <laughs> Let me call you sweetheart. I'm in love with you. You are wonderful and a, a true gem. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, our condolences to the family and friends of now the late Leo Bonacci. What a sweetheart. What a World War II hero. He died last week, just two months shy of his 100th birthday. And again, our thanks to his daughter, Mary Beth, for reaching out to us here at the American Veteran Show and saying, hey, you might be interested in in interviewing my father. And what you heard for the majority of this program today was, In February of 2020, February, March of 2020, right before the height of the pandemic, pandemonium. And it was so nice to get to sit down for so long with an American hero. Farewell, sir. Job well done. And rest in peace. For producer Michael Arpaio, I'm Stephen Tubbs. Next week, our season six finale. And right around the corner, our season seven premiere. Have a great week ahead. And remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veterans Show. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks. The most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players... Pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. 
Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.